0: Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 3 of Stanley Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Beswick, and I'm joined today by two new contributors to the podcast, both from StanleyCupOfChowder.com. We're joined first by Jason Silva, a staff writer for Stanley Cup of Chowder. Jason, how you doing?
1: Great. How's it going, Colin?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Red Sox won last night, so excited to talk a little bit about that. Sure, we'll all uh, be in a good mood about that. Yeah, tired, but good mood, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned, this is your first time on the podcast, but readers are no stranger to some of your work here. Uh, happy to have you on board.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's my second season. Uh, I'm starting writing for Stanley Cup of Chowder, and I'm, I'm psyched to be on board. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun to to do the podcast with you, even all the way down from my home in sunny Florida.
0: Yep, so for the for those who probably don't know, uh, Jason did move down to Florida. Uh, what was it at the end of uh, last season, I want yeah. to say? Yeah, it was in March, yeah. Yep, so big change going from uh, New England to Florida. Um, we're also joined by first-time guest host as well today. That's uh, you know, Matt McGurk. He's also joining us. Matt, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good today. How is it going, Colin?
0: I'm doing good. Threw my back out carrying a... A case of water today definitely uh feeling old but uh no complaints uh, like i said still
2: sort of celebrating the red sox win um
0: so pretty happy about that
2: i mean how can you not celebrate i dropped a lot of money today on some expensive championship gear but what else are you gonna do
0: <laughs> you and i both absolutely for those uh who probably do know but if you don't uh, matt does a little bit of everything for us but he also covers the providence bruins um, for us he's credentialed down with uh, providence and uh, if you're not already following him or jason make sure you do so they both have some great insight on both the bruins and uh, the minor league affiliates uh, jason can be followed on twitter at jason silva s-i-l-v-a-67 and matt what is uh, your twitter handle
2: it is at matt underscore McGuirk underscore 90 uh, last name is spelled McGuirk.
0: For those listening who may not know, both are absolutely worth uh, taking a couple seconds to follow on Twitter. Uh, speaking of the Red Sox and merchandise, that was uh, one of the things I wanted to cover. Um, you mentioned you you bought some uh, some swag. What did you
2: grab? Um, so I I got I ordered two championship shirts online, and then when I got out of class today, I went out and bought. Another championship shirt for myself, one for my dad, and a sweatshirt for myself, which was the most expensive thing I bought, but probably gonna wear it for the foreseeable future as winter is coming. So it was worth it. Yeah, you'd get a little Christmas shopping done, just Red Sox stuff for everyone. Yeah, I think uh, I think I could have saved the World Series shirt for my dad for Christmas, but
0: uh, I figured early, early gift now. Yeah, it's worth it to do it now. I uh, I ran a poll on our uh on Twitter page at SBN supervised asking if it uh, if folks were in the buy this, the championship merchandise immediately camp which as we both know is very expensive uh, immediately after uh, any sort of championship run or if uh, they wait for the clearance you know at Olympia Sports or Dick Sporting Goods you know in a month or two months and unfortunately they weren't very helpful cuz we're split 51 to 49%, 51 saying buy it immediately, 49% saying wait for clearance. I've done both, but uh, I'm with you Matt last night I uh I almost pulled the trigger right away on the one they advertised, you know, on the broadcast for like 70 or 80 dollars or whatever and it sold out before I could mm-hmm. even grab one. So I uh I found a different one today spent whatever it was, 60 bucks on a sweatshirt, but it's worth it, you know, it only happens well, for us more the more often than most, but it uh, you know, <laughs> happens here and there. So what about uh what about you, Jason? Did you grab any championship so I'm, merchandise? I'm more
1: that? of a wait for the clearance type of guy, for sure. Um, because you, you get such good deals and and, and you, you end up getting the most obscure stuff that you wouldn't buy initially, right? <laughs> like I'll end up with like a like a five dollar like wristband or something like that. That's like I'm the only person that spent money on this. <laughs>
0: It's a little quirky. You can add it to the collection. Exactly. I used to do hats for everything Mm -hmm. and uh, sort of a humble brag, but obviously uh, Boston sports teams have won a lot, you know, in the last decade or so I stopped, I just had too many hats. So I stopped buying them. Now I grab a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or like you said, just something weird, you know, a baseball or whatever. They always have some cool stuff, but yeah, I'll definitely be uh, searching. Dick sporting goods in like a month to see what uh, leftover Red Sox championship apparel they have. So did, did both of you guys stay up to watch all
2: the games? Yeah, most of them. Um the game 3, the game 3 that went into 18 innings. I think I made it up until Ian Kinsler's throwing error oh. and then I think that's <laughs> I think that's when I called it a night and
1: went to sleep. That was exactly when I transitioned out as well i was drifting in and out i had a long day anyway and kinsler threw that ball away and i, I clicked off the tv see
0: you later <laughs> now see if i was smart i would have done that but i am not smart as all of our listeners know <laughs> i uh i stayed up for it and uh, that was not a fun next day i'm not not quite old enough to uh to remember the bill buckner incident but uh, that's all i could think about with uh kinsler honestly i you know frustrated as a fan but i felt bad for him i'm so relieved that they went on to win so he didn't get scapegoated for the next 50 years the poor guy you know <laughs> but man what a dumb throw but he yeah, had long 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 couple weeks with uh, the 8 eight fifteen 15 starts for us old folks definitely uh made for some long days after that but uh totally worth it to see yet another boston team win the championship it never gets old it really doesn't we were we were talking about that in our our Stanley Cup of chowder slack chat for i guess I'm the resident old guy uh, <clears throat> saying i i can remember when our teams didn't win and you just sort of knew they weren't going to you had that like sinking pessimism no matter what and it, it <laughs> it's a weird uh, it's weird to to fast forward 10 or 15 years and it's almost the exact opposite. You go into a series thinking that you're going to win because there's such a track record of uh, success with Boston teams. So, it, getting to see both sides, definitely blessed to, uh, to be able to watch so many good teams, even ones that didn't end in championships, you know, but uh, especially the ones who do. But uh, we'll transition back over to hockey. We know most of our listeners are, uh, are here for the, the Bruins in particular, even if many of them are Red Sox fans. Um... <laughs> I did want to dive into a topic that I know I'm pretty passionate about. I know Jason had some thoughts on as well, but um, you know, as we are recording this earlier today, we heard from the department of player safety yet again, that uh, Mark Boryeski from Ottawa senators uh, is going to be facing another hearing immediately after returning from his one game suspension for elbowing uh in, in the brain. So I, I mean, it feels like almost every episode I'm talking about player safety and, and players doing dumb things, whether it's Tom Wilson or, or Boryeski or whoever, or Marshand even. But, uh, you know, not surprising to see him do something reckless and dangerous again. Um, but it it does get old seeing this stuff happen, you know, especially when players are getting hurt, as Eakin did from Las Vegas Knights. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I, I'm sure you guys didn't love the hit, but do you think he'll get the message? You, you know, what do you think happens here?
1: I think that that uh with players like Borowiecki, all, all he has is is the physical game really. He has he has very little to add really at the NHL level other than that and um I think when guys are are in that spot his all of his value and his his entire sort of reason for being in the NHL is to hit guys. Um the question is whether or not he can figure out how to do it cleanly, which in the case of some people it doesn't seem honestly, like they care or like, it's even possible. It's just built into who they are as a hockey player. So honestly, I I don't think it's going to really particularly matter. I I think I heard that this was going to be a phone hearing, which means that he can't get more than like five games um, out of, out of a suspension on it, which isn't really a huge deal. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe he cleans it up after it. Maybe I'm wrong, but players like that tend to
2: just keep on doing it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Go ahead, Matt.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's if he gets all five games. I don't know if it's really gonna force him to change his game up a little bit more because I know there was all that news. I don't know if it was last season or the year before where he he said he wasn't gonna fight as much, and now it seems like he's hitting a little bit more, but they're not exactly clean hits. And that hit on Eakin was not only just a bad hit; just the charge was was really the thing that kind of made it stand out for me. Like he took you know six to. Eight, at least strides just to hit Eakin and that was just I don't know it, I, like I, I agree with Jason I don't know if it's going to make him change his game up but it, it certainly I mean he's been suspended before and it hasn't done anything yet so we'll see
0: yeah, that's uh, anytime something like that happens you know if you're on Twitter you get the uh, I guess the nicest thing I can say is the low quality Twitter users who, uh, who come out of the woodwork to, to tell you how dumb you are for saying that you know, a, a player might get suspended and this was no exception. I had tweeted about, uh, you know, Borieski's hit. And of course I had Senators fans saying like, oh, it's a good clean hit. You know, the typical stuff you see, but the, the thing that it, not only with him, but it, you know, with Wilson, with Kadri, with Martian, with all of those styles of players is that the, the hits just aren't necessary. Like there's a difference between, You know, that argument of it's a split-second decision in hockey, and sometimes it is. It's a fast sport, you know, and you can miss a guy's shoulder and and hit him in the head without intending to, you know, with a matter of inches. But to Matt's point, I mean, that charge was ridiculous. He came seemingly – that was his purpose all along. He didn't need to to lay that hit at all, let alone the way that he did. And every time I see these, it's like, you know, the players cry – you know, that there wasn't any intent and they didn't mean to and so on and so forth. But it's hard not to think that there was, when you see a guy take however many strides, four or five, whatever it is right into a guy, it's just, it gets old as a fan of a sport. And, you know, as someone who tries to, uh, you know, to look at the sport, not only from, you know, a fan and media perspective, but also from that of the players, you know, we don't want to see any players get hurt regardless incidentally or, or on purpose with him. I, I just don't think that he's going to get the message. I don't. I don't think he's quite Tom Wilson level, but I, I, quite frankly, never been a fan of him or his playing style. I think he's the kind of player you sort of have to watch away from the play because he's always doing something a little dirty. Yeah, and his
1: his, his intent there, as as is always with with him, is it, it's, he, he's going to hit the guy no matter what, and that's that's really kind of where the problem lies. That like he's he's coming all that distance. He's made up his mind. He's going to make the hit. Clean or not and and uh, you know when he just runs over a guy who has no idea it's coming goes straight through his head it's just it's almost a byproduct of a guy that just is gonna you know he he, he every single year he puts up between two hundred and three hundred hits, which doesn't happen by accident. he is just hitting guys at at will and um, my my sort of my my sort of prognostication is that with hits like that one in particular, where a guy's you know coming through open ice does not see it coming, you know, either just got rid of the puck or is just receiving a, you know, a hospital pass or something like that. I think that the NHL does probably need to look at some point at at coming up with a rule. Maybe this happens during the lockout. That's that's kind of similar to what the NFL's defenseless receiver rule is, where you just can't make the hit, regardless of if you're going to hit him in the chest or in the shoulder or in the head or whatever it is. You just can't do it. Um because there are so many of those that result in injury, even when the hit is otherwise, you know, legal. I remember Colin Miller a couple of years ago when he was with the Bruins made a, a hit like that on a, on a suicide pass. Um, I can't remember the player, but it was against the coyotes. I think where he almost even held himself up at the end, but he still went right through the guy's head. Cause his head went down and he knocked him out and you know, whether, whether your intent is dirty or not, it's a dangerous hit. And it's probably got to be
0: legislated out. Yeah, that's an important, it's a really a critical point and one that I know that, you know, I don't want to use the term old school fans, but, it, you know, they sort of get lumped into that category. But I think that's a point that, you know, fans are going to have to come, you know, to to an agreement with because, like you said, even on plays that clearly wasn't the intent, there has to be a retraining of players, whether it's at the NHL level or they start at lower levels, to not make hits. Even clean, quote-unquote, clean hits – where someone's defenseless to your point. And I, now that's not what I think happened here. I think that it's no, pretty no. obvious. Yeah. Um, but like I said, hockey's a fast sport. Things do happen. We all accept that, you know, if you play, if you watch it, that, uh, you know, it, it is time to see the NHL do what they can to protect players. And I, I just, you know, as someone who, watching, it, I've never understood the need for players to feel to make that hit, you know, like, especially in a, in a league where players are traded and they move around and it's a, it's a pretty small community, you know, why would you want to hit another player who's defenseless? You know, I, I understand being competitive and, and wanting to hit and all that stuff too. But if you see someone across the ice and they're a defenseless position, I just don't understand the urge to, you know, to follow through on a hit, but you know, I don't play in the NHL. So um, <laughs> I may not ever understand it. I did want to point out to something without going too too off the deep end here about player safety, which I'm known to do, is that, you know, when, when Player Safety released their video on the one game suspension for him for that elbowing to Vakaninen's uh, you know, face, you know, they literally said, quote unquote, we accept Borywski's argument that he wasn't aiming for Vakanainen's head. Which I can sit here till, you know, I'm blue in the face and say, I don't know I don't know how they came to that conclusion. You see it on the video that he turns, looks and makes eye contact before doing it. So that that's one aspect. But even if it wasn't video evidence, I just don't know that player safety should be taking any player's word. You know what I mean? Like, what, All due respect to him or any other player, I don't think that their word really matters. Like, I don't think that any player is going to come out and say, like, nope, was totally intending to, you know, elbow that guy in the eye socket. Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. And this is the perfect example of it after, you know, seeing the, the Gary Bettman upholding Wilson's 20 game suspension and then seeing, you know, Porieski complain in the Ottawa sun about, uh, you know, his concussion issues and, you know, all of that just to come out and elbow guy in the head and concuss him who is still out with a concussion and then turns around on his first game back and lays just a brutal hit to another guy's head. I mean, you you just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's David Backus, doesn't matter if it's Chara or Bergeron, the most respected players in the league. It, they're, you know, what they say was their intent really doesn't matter. You you need to be looking at their history. You need to be looking at the play itself and make a determination on that. And it, it it drives me up, up the wall with player safety, how they, they do all that stuff. I know it's not them all the time. The CBA dictates a lot of what they're capable of doing. But in this case, just really, really frustrating to see them say, yep, yep, we totally believe you. And then he turns around and, and makes them look foolish, you know, two days later. So is what it is, I guess. You know, obviously we hope that uh, Vakanainen and Egan both are okay. Um, as you mentioned, it it does look like it's going to be a phone hearing. So it's uh, capped at five games. Um, doing the math, it looks like it's going to be between three and five games for him based on the fact that he's a repeat offender and he was just suspended. They'll likely double that at a minimum um, and perhaps add in a game for Eakin being injured. But uh, I think we'd all like to see him suspended more. I think the three of us are all sort of in that category of wanting to see harsher uh, penalties. But if they do go above the uh, the five, if they'd offered him an in-person, he has the ability to appeal to an arbitrator, uh, which I'm pretty sure Bettman wants no part of after, you know, still
2: ongoing Tom Wilson nonsense. So we'll see how it goes. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm sure you guys know by now just from our Slack group chat, but I do like, you know, I like aggressive hockey. I like hitting, but, you know, there is there is, a, there is a line between, you know, a clean play and a dirty play. And it seems that every time guys like Mark Borowiecki and Tom Wilson are, you know, pending a suspension for a hit, it's almost always, it, well, I shouldn't say almost always, it's it, always for a dirty hit. And I, I don't know, I just think, I do agree that something has to be done to make these penalties a little bit harsher. And like you said, Colin, I think the Wilson thing is the start of it. Yeah, I hope so. And
0: I, you know, I mentioned it on Twitter. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go on for this topic too much longer here. But if if you're at all interested in how the NHL makes decisions, uh, you know, sort of behind the curtain, uh, for me personally, I find it really fascinating. Um, Gary Bettman's brief that he released on his decision regarding Tom Wilson's appeal, to me, was fascinating because it it takes you into Bettman's mindset into. You know George Peros and the player safety mindset, but also the NHL Players Association and Tom Wilson, which uh, that's maybe a topic for a whole another podcast. You know some of the stupid stuff they (laughs) they said in their uh, in their appeal. But if you're interested in that stuff, if you like uh, being informed in terms of how uh, the league makes decisions, absolutely recommend that. I'll tweet out a link to that if you haven't seen it from the unsupervised uh, Twitter page. Uh, It's not too long. Uh, it's not too legally sounding for those of you who, I think mean, we all know Bettman's a lawyer, but uh, definitely check that out. All right, we'll, uh, we'll move on from the, uh, the player safety topic for now, uh, moving into, you know, more Bruins related in particular. And I did want to touch on a topic that I think a lot of people are are thinking and talking about and discussing right now in, in Bruins land. And that's uh, sort of what to do with Ryan Donato. Um, I don't think it's much of a secret that he struggled this season. Uh, you know, offsides goal, notwithstanding, he really hasn't looked all that good. Jason, I know you did a, you did some research and you had some thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I put out, uh, we put out a piece, um, that I wrote just this morning, um, recording this on Monday. Um, about Donato's struggles and not just Donato, but, um, but the other young kids that were s- sort of meant to fill the holes that were left, especially on the wing. um, And, and, you know, I, just by the eye test, I think it's pretty obvious that Donato in particular has been, has been really, really overwhelmed, you know, like every shift he's out there, he's just getting beat to every puck. He's not making the right decisions. He's not putting himself in dangerous situations, um, but I dug into just some of the numbers just, you know, to kind of confirm that. And boy, does oh, man, it confirms it big time. Um, he is, using some of the fancy stats, his expected goals for percentage is down around 30%, which is 26% off the team average. I mean, it's he's not even close to uh, David Back, is, is the, the next worst on, on the team, about 37%. Um, he's got about a 38% Corsi rating. Uh, of course, he's only got one point. Um, it's it's really, really, really bad. Um, and I know some folks pointed this out, and I probably should have acknowledged that in, in the article, that, that he was actually pretty decent in the Montreal game. He might have even been the best player on the team in that game, which is not, honestly not saying very much. But he did look somewhat dangerous in that game. But I, I still don't think that... Uh, I don't think that there's anything to suggest that Donato's just going to snap out of whatever it is that's going on with him. I, I really, really do believe that he needs some time in Providence to, to iron this out and, and get, get his mindset right before he comes back to the
0: NHL. Yeah. And I wanted to point out real quick too. I mean, we're not obviously just uh, just bagging on Donato here. Um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the younger players uh, in addition to him as well, but you know, we are like, like Jason said, the numbers don't, don't look good for Donato, to be frank. I mean, in virtually, I'd say almost uh, the majority of uh, statistical categories, Donato is, if not the worst, he's in the bottom, you know, three or four players on the team consistently. So it, it's been a rough start, both eye test-wise, uh, you know, in traditional and in advanced stats as well. But for me, I, I've been on the De- Donato, uh, you know, fan train for over two years now but I think there are some legitimate concerns at this stage of his career with his play away from the puck. And I think, I think we all know what he is with the puck on his stick. You know, I don't think any of us have any complaints necessarily about what he can do, uh, you know, in those situations, but, you know, along boards, uh, making space for himself. He's not quite uh, a like, you know, coming into the offensive zone and shooting the puck from, you know, 30 feet away from the net. But uh, there is a little bit of that, to, <laughs> a little bit of that to his game right now. And, uh, you know, I, I know some of our fans did not did not care for the Metrano, uh comparison, all due respect to Frankie, but, uh, you know, to me, to my eye at least, there is you know, it's not overwhelming, but I think there is some aspect of that in, in the way that he plays. You guys agree with that at all?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think away from the puck, he he's not doing enough to help create much of anything for his line mates. Um, I agree with you, Colin, like uh, uh, when the puck's on a stick, you know, you know what you're going to get. Um, but I just think – and then when you look at the numbers, like Jason said, it's just things – the eye test, he hasn't looked too good, and then the numbers prove that. And I think going down to Providence would be what's best for business for him because he'd play top six minutes. He'd play on the power play. Um, he he might – you know, that's a better way to get more comfortable playing your off wing. Um, just so many – he'll have so much more time to work on things down in Providence that he's not doing well now. And then if you look on the, if you look on, you know, a couple months down from now, if he lights it up down in Providence, you call him back up, he translates that back up to the NHL, you know, then that, that might be an experiment worth trying.
0: Yeah. I, I uh, it's always tough with, you know, a player, especially in his case where he looked good last year, albeit in, in, fairly limited you know usage he wasn't he didn't play a ton of games but you know he showed what his ceiling could be but I think the floor sort of fell out a little bit for him so far this year and that was a question that we did get from users who submitted uh, Ray Guarano is one of them who asked us if we thought that uh, a stint in Providence uh, would make sense and I, I think it's looking more and more likely that uh, you know that's on the horizon even after a, you know a somewhat better performance in Montreal. Um, as we learned today, there was a you know a, a handful of moves made um, where Colby Cave was recalled on an emergency recall. We're still, as of this recording, sort of waiting to figure out what's going on with that. We know McAvoy went to IR and Krug is expected back. Backus is skating but not ready. It's been a busy week, obviously with injuries. But I do wonder at a certain point if that uh, the, the Bruins' bottom six players uh, they make a move there either to to send some to Providence. Um, you know, or, or shuffle up the lineup or even for a trade. Because at this point, I, they're really not getting much out of that, you uh, know, their bottom six players. And, you know, like I said, to that point, it's it's not just Donato. I'm a big hind in person as well. And I think he's looked better in the last probably two games. He's had a couple of assists. He's made some nice plays along the board, the boards. And, you know, he's always been fairly responsible defensively. But, you know, he still only has a, a handful of points, you know, and Bjork as well. I think Bjork has looked good in in places here and there. He he stands out, you know, with the eye test, but then he, he can disappear for long stretches of time, too. And really none of the three of them who they are counting on for their secondary scoring have really stepped up. So, you know, not not just an Donato, he's just been, you know, the one who's really, I think, been hit hardest in, in his sophomore year.
1: Yeah, I think um I think Bjork has he, uh, we may kind of need to accept at some point that he may just be one of those streaky players. Um he just hasn't really had many many streaks where he's put up a bunch of points. I, I think that that may come with time with him. Um in going back to some of those numbers, he's at least at a, a, a 46% Corsi, 43% expected goals for rate, um which is great, but it's not as awful as Donato for sure. Um, but he's only turned it into a couple of points. Um, Heinen, I think, has largely been fine. Um, like you said, he's always defensively responsible. I think he does a lot of the little things really well, which doesn't exactly pop out on the stat sheet or um, you know in the eye test. But he's been he's been at least contributing, I think, to moving the puck in the right direction. Um, he's, he's just only turned it into three points so far. But he's he's uh, he's in the black and expected goals at fifty seven percent, which is is just fine. I think the scoring will come naturally
0: for him eventually yeah i agree and is a topic we've we've all hit on in our slack chat um more than once everyone has a an opinion on him it seems like i said i i am big on what he does he reminds me of uh louis erickson which i know is a weird comparison but um just in like he does all of the little things quietly i know obviously people want to mock mock louis and it didn't didn't turn out well but uh, he really was a great all-around player even if the offense wasn't always what people thought it would be. And I think there's a little bit of that to Heinen too, where I don't know if he's going to be a consistent, you know, 45, 50 point guy. He may be a 35, 40 point type player, but I, I you got to be thrilled with that. You know, even if that's his ceiling, because like I said, he's not going to let you down defensively. He does little things well and he can play on both sides. I mean, he, he's really, a, you know, he can be well utilized no matter where he is. So of the three of those, He's definitely played the best to me or to my eyes, but there's still some room for improvement offensively. I'd like to see him, you know, start putting him a little more consistently here in the offensive column. Um, Speaking of offense, though, I did mention, obviously, if if you're following the Bruins, the injury bug has been uh, pretty busy, particularly with the Bruins defensemen. But uh, for once, we're getting a little bit of good news in that Torrey Krug is expected back, most likely will uh, make his season debut, Tomorrow against um, the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, everyone has some sort of take on Krug, you know, on one end of of the spectrum or another. But I don't think anyone can deny that the Bruins have missed, you know, what he does bring in in his offense, not only his offense, but his transitional play as well as a defenseman. I mean, you guys must be excited to to have him back. I'm sure his teammates
2: are as well. Yeah, I'd love me some Tory Krug. I think. I remember during during the 2015-16 season, I, I was on the trade Tory Krug train, and I wish I could go back in time and just tell myself how stupid I was because <laughs> I, I think he's yeah. – uh, I mean, I think he gets a lot of criticism because a lot of people t- still think after, what, three seasons now of playing top four minutes, albeit it's on the middle pair, but people will still criticize him for not being capable of the top four minutes. But I think he's shown he's capable of it. Um, he does a lot for this team, and to me, it's just like if you didn't have Krug, I mean, who who would put up the production he puts up? You would have a huge hole on your blue line, and I think he's going to help things out here. Obviously, when when he comes back, more guys get hurt on the blue line, but Krug's going to be a nice addition to have.
0: Yeah, I, I can hear uh, Sean giving us the bruh, you know, <laughs> just already when it comes to Krug. But uh, I've come around a lot over the last few years with Krug. Um, it's hard to argue that he doesn't have value. Obviously, you know, I still don't think that he's much better than average defensively, but it's not really why he's here. Obviously he's here to, uh, you know, to put up points. And again, to to help transition the puck um, from defense to offense as well. And, you know, right now with a team that their secondary scoring is still largely non-existent, you know, Krejci, if you want to consider him a secondary option, I don't think we should be considering him one, but, you know, he's been putting up points, but even DeBrusk, who's looked good, hasn't produced. Um, obviously we already talked about the kids, Bacchus is hurt. So there really hasn't been any scoring. So even if, if it's just Krug's offense coming back, that's a, that's a huge win for a team looking to uh, start putting some points up. Granted, he's not, uh, you know, the magic fix. He's not going to, you know, take care of everything, but uh, definitely should be a big boost. Um Like I said, we're still waiting. Uh, We know what happened with Kevin Miller. He's out uh, in a matter of weeks at a minimum. He'll be reevaluated, have his hand looked at. But uh, as of the time of this recording, we still aren't really sure what's going on with Charlie McAvoy. Um, You know, it's been been labeled, uh, I believe, an upper body injury from the Bruins, which, as we all know, can mean pretty much anything. (laughs) Um, Obviously, we hope he's okay, but we're not really sure what – you know, what the diagnosis there is or what's the time frame we're looking at. He was placed on IR, as I mentioned earlier today. Um, you know, it's been a bit of a ragtag, uh, all due respect, but a ragtag um, group of defensemen with Faka 9 making his debut and um, Lozon making his debut. Um, you know, we act Steve throw throwback to the, you know, older Bruins teams playing and playing fairly well. You know, so, you know, assuming that everyone does get healthy, knock on wood, you um, you know where do you where do you see everyone playing? Who's going to sit? What are your pairs looking like at that point? Well,
1: I think it's. It, I mean, if everybody's healthy, that's an excellent problem to have. Um, but of course, injuries happen. Um, <laughs> ideally, I think obviously you you, you probably do want to keep Chara and McAvoy together as your your true top pair. Um, I'm really interested to see what they do with uh, Brandon Carlo in that situation, because I think Carlo, he's looked better lately, Um, but um, most of last year, I think we're we're starting to get the idea that he's, you know, he may be better suited to a more of a a bottom pairing role. Um, But we also, you know, we want to see somebody that matches well with Krug, which, which, you know, Krug seems to like to have that sort of pure defensive guy, on on his right side, um, you know, it was McQuaid for so many years, and then Carlos seemed to mesh well there um, last year as well. So I, th- I think they they may keep that, and then it's just the bottom pair. Uh, I think John Moore has been pretty good so far, so I think you you keep him around, and and uh, Kevin Miller is is pretty solid as well. Um, I think Grizzlick has earned some time uh, for sure uh, in his sort of substituting in that Krug role. Um, but the the question is, who do you take out? You know, is, does does he sit? Does Moore sit? Does Miller sit? You know, it's, it, it's a really really hard call.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're going to see Chara and McAvoy back together. Um, I think there was a lot of talk throughout the offseason, at least that I noticed, of possibly putting Carlo back with Chara and using John Moore with Charlie McAvoy. Which uh, I mean, I don't know until we see that group together. Who knows how that could be? But if everyone's healthy, I think you're going to see Chara with McAvoy. I think you're going to see John Moore with Brandon Carlo. And then I think you're going to see Tori Krug with Kevin Miller. Um, I've had to eat a lot of crows with my thoughts on Matt Grizzlick because I was not too high on him when he was back at BU. And then his first season in Providence, I watched a lot of them. I wasn't too, too impressed. Obviously, I'm not a professional scout or anything, so – I didn't see what the Bruins saw, obviously, because Grizzly came in and played very well last year. He's been very sturdy throughout the beginning of this season, but it's just such a – it's so hard now because you have a lot of capable guys to play, so it's like who sits, you know, whether you rotate guys in and out depending on matchups or, you know, so-and-so plays a couple games here, then he's out. It's just – it'll be interesting to see how they decide on who sits once everyone's healthy – I think we've learned in the past couple seasons though that it might take a long time for everyone to be healthy, so I guess for now we're we're gonna have to see how things play out with the guys they have now.
0: yeah, I mean, knock on wood, hopefully everyone is healthy, but uh, as we've seen over the last it seems like two or three seasons now, the Bruins you know defense has been hit pretty hard uh, consistently with injuries you know i this won't be the first time I mention it on the podcast, and it probably will not be the last time we mentioned it on the podcast. But when you, if if and when you do have everyone healthy, I really would like to see Chara sit. And that's not because I'm some you know Chara hater or you know he's too old or anything. I I'm the biggest Chara guy around probably. But I think if uh, you know the Bruins have playoff aspirations, and I think we're all in agreement that uh, they do and that they think they do, you really need to rest him in the regular season. And I'm just going to keep beating that drum until Bruce hopefully finally does. And, I, and not just, you know, taking shaving a minute or two off his time on ice here and there. I mean, literally taking him off of the ice, as hard as that is to, get <laughs> car to buy him to and sitting him, you know, when you have a John Moore or you have, you know, whoever, especially now that we've seen Bacchanainen and Lausanne, and I think Zaboro looked good, uh, you know, pre-injury as well too. You know, you have the players that are available to eat up some minutes, you know, use them so that when the playoffs come around, you know, Chara at 907 years old is not going to be exhausted by, you know, the third game in the first round. And that's I think, not...
1: I think you can you can also just use, it's, it, assuming everybody's healthy, you can also just use that the sort of like seven legitimate defensemen as a way to rest everybody. You know, you can rotate a new guy in and out of the lineup every single night if you want to.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm honestly a huge, you know, proponent of that. Like I said, you have these players, you paid to bring John Moore in, you know, for five years... You know, knock on wood, so far going into the 10th game, they've all looked reasonably good. You know, that may change. But, you know, like I said, rest, uh, you know, move everyone in and out, including, you know, a McAvoy or a Carlo, whoever, you know, give him all rest, you know, here and there. I did want to say, um, you know, Carlo has looked uh, pretty good to my eye. You know, it, it, it's a pretty pivotal year, I think, for him. You know, he's, he's faced a lot of uh, criticism in the last two seasons, uh, particularly last season as well for not being aggressive enough or when he was aggressive, it wasn't uh, perhaps the smartest way to show aggression. Uh, I think he's, he's found a way to channel um, being more aggressive, but without having it cost the team, he's been more assertive. Uh, He's been a pleasure to pleasure to watch. I was a little bit surprised. Neither of you mentioned keeping him with Chara when McAvoy comes back. So you, you don't think that the Bruins would entertain that or you just personally don't feel that they should?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's definitely a possibility. I think Carlo's shown the past couple – he's played very well the past couple games, and I'm sure a lot of people will say that's because he's back with Chara. Who knows if that's the case, but uh, I think for now, like uh, until like you really have to put Carlo back up with Chara and, or if you're forced to because of other injuries or – anything else coming up in the future. I think Char and McAvoy have been a good pair and I, I just can't see them breaking that up.
1: I, I think going Chara Carlo um, almost forces um, Bruce Cassidy to play more of a, a matchup style, which, which he's, he's kind of, he leans towards anyway. But I think if you go with those two, you're going with them. They are a shutdown pair and they're taking every single shift against the other team's best line which you know, in a, in a playoff mode might make sense, but in a regular season where you might be trying to manage minutes and, and uh, zone starts a little bit more, uh, especially with a, a 907-year-old defenseman like Chara, <laughs> you, you probably would rather spread out your defense and offense throughout your, your uh, defensive core that way. I, th- I think that would make more sense. And, and while we're on, on Carlo, before we move on, I just have to make a request to Bruce Cassidy, who I'm sure listens to our podcast. Please know more Brandon Carlo in three-on-three overtime please.
0: Yeah. You got to draw a line somewhere. It's <laughs> hard. Uh, I agree. That's uh, probably not the best situation for, uh, for Carlo. And, uh, but again, you know, he's looked good. Hopefully that continues. And like I said, hopefully the Bruins uh, defense gets healthy, um, you know, sooner rather than later here. Um, so we can see this team sort of at full strength as we move forward. Um, we will transition a little bit into. Uh, I did want to talk about where the Providence Bruins are. Um, you know, is they're in the beginning stage of their season as well. As I mentioned, Matt uh, has had the opportunity to cover them uh, from the press box down in Providence. Uh, again, highly recommend following him if you're looking for more Providence um, coverage. You know, we'll just got a couple thoughts from him on you know how they look. If anyone stood out, and uh, I did want to ask about one player in particular, uh, as well as we get into that. But uh, Matt, did you did you have any high level thoughts on how Providence has looked?
2: Uh well, yeah, through through nine games, it it has not been an easy start to the season. They are three five and one with seven points, and they are last place in the Atlantic Division. Um, I just think they're they're a very young team this year. Um, they do not. They they definitely miss Austin Zarnik and Kenny Agostino. Um, then they and because they were you know the top two point producers on the team last year. But then they also missed some quality veterans in Chris Porter and Colton Hargrove, who were very effective penalty killers and key bottom six forwards. For I think Porter played two seasons, and and Hargrove was here for a little bit more than that. So I think when you lose some guys like that, you need to try and replace them, and. I think we all know that the third line center battle up in Boston, you know, between I, I don't really think I I don't want to mention Sednika because he went back to juniors, but between JFK and Frederick, I think when they got sent down, people were thinking of maybe them carrying the offense over the start of the year in Providence, and that has not been the case. You know, Colby Cave has ten points through eight games to lead the team. Um, Cameron Hughes, the rookie, has eight points, and then their top four. So their top four point scorers are Colby Cave, Cameron Hughes, Anton Bleed, and Mark McNeil. It's not JFK, Frederick, Senishin, Sol- and Solarik. You know, so it's it's kind of like the young guys got a little bit cold here at the start of the year. And if not for the veterans who've stepped up, you know, they their record could be worse than it is. Um, again, it's only nine games, so and there's still plenty of weekends left in the AHL this season. Um, but guys, I think young guys are coming around. I know last weekend. When I was at the the game, they were playing Bridgeport. Trent Frederick had an awesome game, was the first star. Um, Zach Seneshan really looks like a a more complete player this year. Um, and he's a lot more effective coming off the wall in the offensive zone as well, uh, which was one thing. I I Personally, to me, I'm not a pro hockey scout, like I say all the time. I didn't think he was very good along the boards last season, but it seems he's kind of bared down in that regard. And then just other guys who kind of come into form. You know, Jeremy Jeremy Lozon got called up, but I was been very high on him. I think he's a very sturdy top four defenseman for them. Um and then Connor Clifton, who is a guy I I talk about all the time. I don't think he's gonna ever translate his game to the NHL, but he's been very effective for Providence, very fast skater, all around the ice. Um and then the goaltending, you know, Dan Vladar has been been very good in Providence. Unfortunately he had a tough loss in the home opener this year. Um, And then Zane McIntyre is still there. Um, I think we all know Zane McIntyre has regressed a little bit, but if he can kind of bear down and get his, get his game back. And if Dan Vladar can continue to just be pretty dominant in the AHL, which he has been for the most part, I think the P Bruins have the pieces to turn around. It's kind of just the question is, you you know, when are these young guys going to get it? I guess if if, for lack of a better phrase, maybe a little injection of Ryan Donato might help them out too. Yeah, I, I, (laughs) I honestly agree with that. I think Donato, like, last season, Dan Heinen made the Bruins, got sent down for a weekend. I think he exploded for, like, five or six or even more points. He he had quite a few games in two or three. Twitter, look, let me rephrase that. He had quite a few points in just two or three games, and then he came back up to Boston and was very good. So I think uh, Heinen's uh, – jeez, I can't talk. I think a Donato stint in Providence would be very beneficial for him and the Bruins.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, with the Providence Bruins too right now, they're obviously dealing with uh, some some roster issues. I know JFK is uh, is at home in Sweden. He has a, a personal matter. He's attending to Solaric, I believe, is uh, injured again, although I don't – I'm not sure what the injury is currently. Um, Lausanne is obviously up in, in Boston on emergency recall, and Vakonainen's been hurt, as we mentioned already. Now Cave has been called up. Um And I want to say that uh, Suarez and McNeil are both injured and have been um, as well. So, you know, you mentioned that it uh, it hasn't been an ideal start, but obviously they're dealing with uh, quite a bit of, um, you know, injuries and other things as they start their season as well. Um, It it is interesting. We haven't really talked about these two players in particular on our podcast, but it's the way you described uh, McIntyre seems to be a good good microcosm of – you know, how his his uh, star is sort of dimmed while Vladars has definitely brightened over the last year or so. Um, there was a time I can remember when McIntyre was, you know, thought to be one of the best young goalies in the league, and now it's just sort of he's there, which is unfortunate, but uh, it is interesting that Vladar is playing so well. Um, you know, like I said, his prospect uh, profile is definitely on the rise. Um, you also mentioned Jack Stadnicka, who I will find any excuse to talk about for any reason ever. Um, did want to point out he is up to 18 points in 13 games um, as he's capt- captaining the Oshawa Generals. Um, has six goals, 12 assists. So, uh, you know, he hasn't really missed a beat since being sent down to juniors. I know, you know, I'm not a big fan of the rule that, uh, that keeps him down there. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring next season I am very curious to watch uh, what Trent Frederick and uh, JFK when he returns do this season as we all know the the third line center really hasn't been solidified you know so far in the Bruins season which brings me to the one player I mentioned that I did want to talk about um in particular down in Providence and uh that's um uh, the uh the recent uh I guess uh not signing but um you know, Jan Kovar, you mentioned you not only got to see him play, but you've actually had a chance to talk to him as well. Did you have thoughts on how he looked? Is this sort of a pipe dream or you know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, um oh yeah, his name is his name is actually pronounced Jan Kovash. So I'm glad I discovered that before I interviewed him. But um <laughs> but anyway, he um yeah I think I just saw the one game he played. It was his first game with the team. Uh he looked all right. You know he definitely wasn't skating very well, but after the game, he said, I, I just asked him, I said, you know, are you, were you comfortable out there or, you know, how'd you feel? And he just said, he felt okay. He said, he didn't want to say he felt comfortable. Cause he, he hadn't skated for like two weeks or so, he said beforehand. And, um, but yeah, he looked all right. You know, he, he definitely lacked the skating. Um, who knows if that's just the lack of anything for two weeks or just if that's the kind of player he is, but, um, he, he scored a pretty nice goal. You know, he, Jeremy Lozon fed a pass through three Bridgeport players to find Kovashin on the breakaway. He was stopped by Jeremy Smith, but then he roofed the backhand rebound right up into the back of the net. So it was a very good play, and just you know he kept his eye on the puck and he bared down and and he finished the play. Um, so I think he's definitely got the skill to contribute. Um, I think we've talked about it, Colin. I know that his KHL numbers might have been highly inflated. Like you described, because of his strong wingers over in the Continental League, so I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if that's a case because we really haven't seen him in a meaningful North American game yet. So I think if he, I think he's got this week and maybe next week left on his tryout deal. So I mean, if he continues to put up points, I mean, he's we're, if he, through three games right now. He's got two goals and an assist. I mean, I don't know if that's really much to judge him off of, but. He's certainly shown he can contribute, but if they need him to contribute a lot uh, and maybe, you know, have him be an option for the third-line center, I I don't know. It seems like – I'd say it's kind of a pipe dream, Colin.
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: the fact that we're we're sort of grasping at straws for that,
0: uh, you know, mystery player to fill in in third-line center sort of tells us what we need to know. But, um, you know, for those who aren't super familiar with him, um, you know, as Matt mentioned, he he played in the KHL – Um, where he put up, he was one of the best forwards in the league, legitimately. Um, But as Matt mentioned, those who cover the league much more closely than we do, obviously, thought that uh, a lot of that was as a result of pretty high quality of uh, teammates on his line. Um, You know, prior to his last season there, he was routinely putting up between 50 and, and high 60s, and points and then you know when his, his line mates left he dropped down to 35 points he's only 28 he's not uh, he's not ancient by any means but uh, that's a bit concerning obviously and he didn't work out with the islanders you know refused to, to be sent down to bridgeport as well so it's been an interesting few months for him uh here in north america um you know obviously if he turns out to be you know uh, you know <laughs> a viable option for the third line center that. It's terrific you know it sort of found money but i agree that uh, the chances of that all due respect to you know to him probably aren't great um which sort of brings me into a point that i think is on everyone's mind in terms of you know what are the bruins going to do about their depth scoring do they make a move you know is it going to be internal or is it going to be that we see jfk or, or frederick back up here at some point and they they run with the role or are we going to see a trade? What do you guys think? Do you have a, a gut feeling for that?
1: I, I don't personally see how they can really kind of internally improve their depth scoring, like, like making a, you know, Providence call ups and, and that sort of thing. Cause I just don't think that they, they have anybody that high end scoring wise in Providence that that's anywhere, you know, in, in, in the range of, of NHL ready or uh, ready to contribute significantly to the scoring. Um, I think we could see Frederick at some point for sure in in that, that three C role, but I, I I don't, I don't know if he's going to make that big a scoring difference anyway. I think it's, it's largely going to come down to having a bit of patience with, um, you know, some of the players we were talking about earlier with, you know, getting Donato back in the right uh, mindset, uh, getting better contributions from Bjork, um, seeing Heinen increase his, his scoring output, um, you know, playing, playing uh, whichever side and whichever role he ends up being. And, and a lot of it co- just co- kind of comes down to finding the right line mixture um, in the NHL, not, not, maybe not necessarily bringing a Providence guy. Um, I think, you know, trades, I mean, you could see something at some point. It just, just seems a, it seems a ways off while, while this team is still kind of figuring out what it is, uh, especially in, in
2: the bottom part of the lineup. Um, the depth scoring, I think we all know it hasn't been where it is, but I, I agree with Jason. I think they're going to be patient with guys like Heinen and Bjork and and Donato if he stays up. Um, And I think when David Backus comes back, I think you're going to see him inserted into the third-line center spot because I don't really think they have many other options. Um, Sean Corrali, his experiment there lasted a game or two. Um, I don't think you're going to see Joachim Nordstrom there. So I think they're going to try and run it out with Backus, see if he can produce, see if he can help the young guys – actually, let me rephrase that, see if the young guys can help him produce – so I think they're going to be patient. I just can't see them making a uh, making a trade just yet. I think if we get a couple months from now and and things aren't where they need to be and guys in Providence aren't performing where the Bruins had hoped, I think you could see a trade made. But I think for right now, I think they're going to be patient with what they have. Yeah, it's sort of a catch twenty two. Is that if, even if they wanted to make
0: a trade, they're obviously not dealing from a position of strength when the likely trade pieces and Donato or Heinen or Bjork aren't playing well. So it's, it's sort of a tough call, said I think the most likely uh, scenario is that they sort of just play on and hope that um, someone can sort of uh, step up there. But uh, we'll see. You know, it, It's easy to lose track of just how early in the season it is. You know, is. Two months from now, we may not even remember that this was such a big deal uh, at the time. Obviously, it's a long season, Uh, things change so hopefully uh, you know said that the kids will play a little better and whoever it ends up being whether it's Bacchus or Nordstrom or Player X that they're able to uh, find success there Um, I did want to touch on or or more accurately um, both of you wanted to touch on Rask uh, and Halak everyone who's ever listened to me on here on Twitter knows my thoughts on it so I won't really chime in but I know you both had some thoughts you wanted to share on that
1: yeah, uh last week uh in uh the episode you did um with uh with uh, I think you were talking uh, to Sean at that 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 time you asked is there a goalie controversy and 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 all of you guys said no there's no goalie controversy. Um I think that is that is slowly developing. <laughs> and I think it might be fair to say that there there is something of a controversy and we don't really understand who the number one goalie is right now. Um, just because Halak has been so clearly better than Rask so far. Um, and you know, this, this last weekend kind of, you know, furthered that storyline for sure. Um, but I also just want to say that like not knowing who your number one goalie is not necessarily, that's not necessarily a bad thing when you have two guys who can be number one goalies and you can, you can ride whichever one is hot, um, and make your judgments on a, on a, you know, a game to game basis. Um. I think the the one thing we have to say is that they did a great job finding Halak at a pretty reasonable price and upgrading over Hudobin. Um and I I I really really hope that that continues and and Rask raises his play back to that sort of you know nine thirteen nine fifteen save percentage area. Uh, sorry, Colin, I know you hate save percentage, but, you know, just to <laughs> basically get him back to where he typically is, which is kind of an average, you know, the average starting goalie, having two guys that can get the job done or or at least be satisfactory in that behind a good defense can make a really, really big difference in this league.
2: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm 100% fine with riding Halak while he's hot. I think, it, I think we've all mentioned in our Slack group chat before that that might be, that might be what is best for Tuka Rask even, like give him some extra time off at the beginning of the season because we all, we all know from the past couple of years he gets hot in the middle of the season and, and carries it into the second half. So if you can maybe delay the start of Rask getting hot for a couple of weeks, I think that might help the Bruins, if, if that makes sense, of course.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it, it can make sense. I mean, even just recent history, look at the Capitals last year. Braden Holpe went ice cold. <laughs> For a little while in their second half, and they they rode um, Grubauer all the way into the playoffs, literally into the playoffs. They started Grubauer early in their their first uh, their first round matchup against Columbus, and then switched back to to Hopi, who looked fresh and played spectacular, and,
0: and you know ultimately got him a cup. Yeah, I, I think a lot of fans have trouble sort of thinking past this from like a, a non like binary viewpoint. You know, you can both say that you know, one, Halak has been better, two, Rask has struggled, and three, that it's still a great thing that they have two good or very good goaltenders, you know, however you see them, uh, you know, in the stable, so to speak. You know, obviously, Rask is not playing well. You know, anyone who says he is, I would question their judgment, frankly. Um, But again, I don't think that any of us really expect him to to play at this level. You know, going forward, I think, you know, he's already – showed some signs of, uh, you know, sort of finding his, his normal mark, like you mentioned, around league average. Um, but, you know, it, it's a uh, you know, weird term maybe to use, but it, it's still a blessing to have both guys who can carry you at stretches and whether or not Halak continues to play. It, I want to be clear about this. Halak has been a top five goaltender in the league through nine games or whatever it is we are here. I know that there are many who want to discount what he's doing or say, you know, it's short sample sizes or whatever. I don't know that he's going to be a top five goaltender all year, but I think people are sort of missing the whole forest for the trees here saying that he's just going to you know crash and burn at some point in the season. He's been a starting goaltender the majority of his career. If you look at, you know, and I I hate using wins and starts for goaltenders, but if you look at Tuka and Palak's career numbers, they're virtually identical. So I, it frustrates me to no end when I see people say, like, well he's the backup, so this is gonna happen and Rask's the starter, this is what's gonna happen. Like at this point I think it's fair to kind of throw out both of those terms. Like you sort of have a one A, you have a one B, and there isn't really a starter or a backup for the time being. That may change. Rask may, you know, go on a you know, hot streak and all will be right back in Boston again. But uh just had to get that out of my system a little bit there.
1: So what you're saying is that Halak is gonna win the best <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, verbatim. That you heard it here, first First, folks. Yep. The yeah,
2: the same day. The same day, Adam McQuaid finally wins his Norris Trophy. He well, that. Yeah. <laughs> they should just rename that trophy to the Adam McQuaid block shot with his face and neck trophy. Yeah. The, the McQuaid
0: Warrior Trophy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we it's
0: talking about goaltending is one of those things where, like, I think. You know, maybe it's just me, but I am simultaneously frustrated by the constant conversation around it. But also, like, I feel this, like, undying need to scream from the rooftops how bad some of the discussion is around it. So it is interesting that we're seeing sort of, you know, not only fans, but media come around to the fact that, uh, you know, Halak is, for the time being, the starter. He's going to get started here in Carolina. So, like I said, I hope both of them play well. At the end of the day, that's really what it's about. Um, that's what you should be rooting for. But uh, it, it's been a very interesting start to the, <laughs> to the year when, in terms of Bruins goaltending. Um, did want to just one more topic that we wanted to touch on, too, just real quick is the upcoming schedule for the Bruins. We'll just take a, a lightning quick run through what they're facing. I already mentioned they're going to be playing Carolina to close out the month of October. Carolina are surprisingly uh, pretty good to start the season. Um, You know, they're not really world beaters, but uh, they're among probably the top 10 teams so far in the season. So that won't be, you know, necessarily an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. But then moving into their next game is, uh, you know, a Saturday night game against Nashville. And Nashville is probably the best team in the league right now. Um, That to me is one I've had circled on my calendar for, you know, the last month or so at this point because outside of the Capitals, it feels like the Bruins haven't played any truly, truly good teams so far. I mean, they've faced some hot teams, but, you know, Nashville is the cream of the crop along with, you know, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Winnipeg. So I'm really excited to see them play against uh, them. They follow up a few days later against Dallas um, and then Vancouver on the 8th followed by their first game of the year against Toronto Saturday night on the 10th at seven who will be without Austin Matthews. And it's looking more and more likely that uh, Nylander will still not be signed at that point, much to the detriment of my fantasy team. Um, So that'll be an interesting matchup for the first Bruins leaf game of the year. Um, When you look at uh, you know, those next five games, where do you think the Bruins are going to be at at the end of those? They, you know, they're going to win a couple. They're going to, going to have a tough stretch here now that they're facing three pretty good teams in Dallas, Nashville, and Toronto, or or what are you guys projecting out for the next few games?
1: I think we're going to, we're going to learn some things, uh, about the Bruins in terms of, you know, what, what really are they, um, or at least with their, their current roster, because so far their, their sort of stamp has been that they've been kind of slowing the pace down, um. Bolt you know, shots in both directions have been way down for them this year. So they're they're, they're almost kind of dumbing the, name, the game down um against most of their opponents, and that's gonna be very difficult to do against um, you know, especially Nashville. Um Carolina plays at pretty good pace, Dallas has gone back a little bit to that run and gun style. Um, don't know about Vancouver, but certainly Toronto. You know they can put up the points, so I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fascinating to find out. Like, can they slow those teams down enough? You know, to let the first line do its thing? Um, can they get some depth scoring in there? Um, personally, I think that if if they come, you know, through these next like five games that that you mentioned there, and you know, get something like you know like six points out of it, I'm fine with that. Um, especially if you can take anything out of Nashville on the road, I'm totally fine with that because that team is awesome. Um, but I'm I'm more interested to see just the the type of games that they end up in.
2: Yeah, the next stretch of games certainly starts with a pretty good test against Nashville on the road. Um, I think that might be the toughest game out of the next week or so, Um, just because, like you said, Colin, Nashville is probably one of the best, if not the best team in the league. Um, And the Bruins really haven't played – any good teams? I definitely agree with that. So I think Nashville is going to be a tough game. Then you got Dallas at home. It seems that in the two games the Bruins play against Dallas every year, I feel like they always struggle against them at home. So I don't know if like they get over that this year or not. But it's it's. I think there's a good opportunity here for the young guys to kind of step up and the team to start playing better. Um, just a question of whether or not they can put pen to paper and do it. Is I guess that is remains to be seen, just because it's kind of like the first tough stretch the team's going to have this season. Yeah, and that's that's partly why I wanted to
0: bring it up too. Is I think if it doesn't go particularly well, and I think if we're being realistic, there's a there's a very solid chance that it doesn't. Again, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer or whatever here, but the Bruins really haven't played that many good teams, and when they have, they've it hasn't been great. I mean, Washington obviously you know, blew their doors off uh, to start the season. And, you know, so if it doesn't go well, I think we're going to start to hear the narratives get cranked up uh, quite a bit higher and maybe a little bit of panic uh, in in certain segments of the fan base, despite it being a little too early, in my opinion, for that. But, you know, no matter what, I think it's going to be a great uh, sort of measuring stick early in the season to see where, they, uh, where they're at. Um, but, you know, at least in my opinion, if they don't start getting secondary scoring – I don't think much of it's going to matter. The Bergeron line, in my opinion, is the best line in hockey, but they can only do so much. You know, a one line team is only going to carry you so far, especially against teams that are, you know, have depth scoring like Toronto, even with Matthews and Nylander potentially out. They still have Kadri and Tavares and on and on and on and on. So you're going to need more than just the Bergeron line. So I'm looking forward to it. It's always good to have good hockey on the, uh, you know, on the docket here as we uh, get sort of into the, you know, into the NHL regular season. Um, we will wrap up the podcast at this point. I wanted to thank uh, both of you for joining us again. Follow both of them on Twitter if you aren't already. Um, Jason again can be found at Jason Silva67,
2: and Matt, you're going to have to do yours because I forgot yours again. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you can get me on Twitter at Matt underscore McGork underscore 90 McGork is spelled M-C-G-U-I-R-K. Um, thanks for having me on Colin. And I and had a lot of fun talking with you guys and I'm excited to do it again in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate both of you joining me as for listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Um, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Google podcasts, iTunes, anchor, whatever it may be. We're on virtually everything. If you have a couple seconds, if you can leave us a review, we'd uh, much appreciate it. Um, if you are not already, for some reason following, um, the web uh, us on Twitter, it's at SB unsupervised, uh, feel free to do that. As always, we're open to suggestions for topics in the future. We appreciate you listening and thanks a lot. Bye-bye.